Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Fantastic Texing. This is episode number 22, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and also Jason Roberts. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Great. How's it going, Justin? It's good. I'm trying to pretend to be full of energy today, even though I'm hungover. Yeah, you sounded pretty dead last episode. We got to get that energy up. There was also that you know thing. Yeah, yeah, we got a comment uh, saying that uh, we were saying you know a lot. I noticed it somewhere. Was me. It was me. Was you? I, think, I thought it was me. I think there was a period where I said you know a few times in a row, and I was like, oh, God. It's, it, it's <laughs> some, something I picked up somewhere along the way in L.A. When I sort of don't know what I'm going to say, I go, uh, you know, uh, this, uh, you know, that. <laughs> and yeah, I just kind of it, use it as a filler. Yeah, it's fun to listen to. Yeah, I'm I sure. <laughs> All right. So, all right. Well, I want to start off again with the um, Tweet Miner update. I'm finding that fun to follow. So, what uh, what's the status? Okay. The status is that the first payment occurred on October the 17th. It's okay. now November the 14th. There's been 29 days. Tweet Miner has okay. 35 paying customers. It's had wow. $750 gross uh, come through the door. After the affiliate commissions, it has made $600 net in 29 days. That's there, fantastic. Yeah, not bad, huh? There's a total of 67 affiliates signed up. There's 1,461 free users, um, 35 paying customers with a 2.3% conversion ratio. Right. Right. So I got a couple questions. Um, the How many hours do you think you put in up till now, that you've put in up till now? in uh working on tweet miner it's, it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to answer i mean i suppose if we say so it's the, the payment's been live for a month um i guess i started coding it about a month and a half beforehand mm -hmm. so if you say an average of two hours a day so that's uh i guess maybe 90 hours 90 hours so let's say it's 100 hours so you're doing about six dollars an hour so far <laughs> yeah <laughs> when you put it that way <laughs> right i mean but uh eventually that that'll that rate will continue to go up right because it's leverage increases so when the more users you get then that that hourly rate will just continue to just uh go through the ceiling you know six and pretty soon you might be making 12 dollars an hour if i'm lucky <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was thinking if I was to move to India, I mean, I could I could be making a pretty good living right now. You could be a kingpin. Yeah. <laughs> it could be the Twitter sphere app, tweet app, kingpin. What would <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there was that uh, really interesting, uh, there was a good, uh, there was a couple great comments on um, Pegzing. I could to go to that real quick. Um, what was that one guy? He, 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 let me see what his name is. He um, left a comment about the free users? Yeah. Right? He says, um, yeah, was this the guy? The show plans and pricing comment. Yeah, I think he was the one who said um, that Michael... So Michael Rakita. Yeah, is that the guy? Yeah, he wrote a really uh, thoughtful um, comment about how you got to be really careful about your free users because if you have too many of them, it's just going to really eat into your time. Yeah. And they, so you got to be really careful. I'd have to reread it, but it seemed, it sounded like essentially what he was saying is that maybe consider doing like a um, a free trial. Well, he's he's very... saying don't. Um, he's basically saying if, you know don't make it 
that you have 100,000 free users and that you're paying users are just paying the system so that you can keep support those guys. You know, and, right. unless you're trying to go for some kind of VC buyout or something like that, which I'm not. But right. I mean, what the way that I've set it up is that because the free users are, are very limited in the, the amount of resources they can use, like mm-hmm. I can actually scale it out to a lot of free users. That That's sort of the whole point. Um, right. You know, they, they can only really make 250 Twitter connections per day, which is, you know, pretty limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure I can scale, you know, and, and especially if the conversion ratio continues, I've kind of changed my mind about whether it can work as it is with the existing prices. I think it possibly can. I did another little trick um, because the the $5 plan was proving to be a problem, you know, because obviously if right. affiliates take 50% of that, then it's only, you know, just a little over two bucks after PayPal commission. But what occurred to me was, well, it's not so much the point of the fact that it's that little money. It's the fact that it's that little money per month, but in a, in a year, it's it's kind of okay. So how about just make it so they have to pay a year up front? You know, they can have the $5 plan, but they've got to buy a full year. So mm-hmm. that's that's the way I've said it. So therefore, with the $5 plan, as you know, you have to pay to, uh, 12 months up front. And then it's fine because then it's a chunk of 60 bucks. So it's like selling a 60 buck product, you know? Well, okay. But I, I think part of the reason you would have the free versions, you get people in, they don't have to have it. It's not a huge sort of um, commitment on their part. And then they can sort of be upsold as they decide, hey, this is pretty cool, but oh, yeah, I really yeah. need these additional features. So that's the one thing you, the problem with doing that is that someone who they want to stick their toe in the water, like, ah, you know, I might use this is pretty cool. Five bucks. All right. What the hell? But at 60 bucks, that's just enough for people to, to kind of say, you know, I just never ready to commit to it. Well, but, but the thing is, I mean, it's, it's, it's already proven and it is proving to have, um, a 2.3% conversion ratio. So, I mean, okay. A couple of points about this whole free thing. I've heard said a couple of times that if you don't have a free version, then essentially your competitors have a free version. So, you're, you know, it, it's better to have those customers on your free version rather than going to your competitor's free version. That's one mm-hmm. point. That's one, one, one issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, you know, if I know that I can – see, I said, you know. <laughs> yeah, keep it so, up. <laughs> Two more times. So if I know that I who is, can – Wait, who is the guy who uh, complained about that? Um, he name? basically said he had to turn it off. Okay, Nixar. Yeah. Nixar, that was for you. A few more you knows. <laughs> yeah. You know. All right. So keep um, going. Yeah, so... Well, because the thing is, it's it's not like they can use a... It's basically like a handicapped version, the free version in a sense, because what they can they can add five Twitter accounts... They can use it, but what, you know, if they want to start becoming a power user and posting more than ten ske- scheduled tweaks, or if they want to start, you know, opening it in their browser um, and leaving it there for a couple of hours and having the auto refresh going, it's gonna it's gonna give them a certain chunk of time every day. So it's gonna be useful, but it's not gonna be useful enough for them to turn it into a professional client, you know, because really it's for it's for businesses. But I don't know. What do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it all sounds reasonable. You know, I wonder if there's sort of like a, um, an almost like an algorithmic way to figure this out. Like if you look at a graph of, of free users versus uh, paid users versus, say, you know, you know, the premium users or whatever, and you looked at a graph of it, there might be some, some optimal level. Like you can tell 
when you are segmenting or partitioning your product features correctly. That if the if the bulge of free users is too high or the graph is one way or the other. It'd be really interesting. I bet you there's some people who know something about that. In fact, you know, it might be interesting to bring Michael Rikita, the guy who wrote the comment on as a as a guest, because it looks like he's gone through this, you know, and yeah. really wrestled with the whole free and the charging. Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to talk to somebody who's just who's, who's spent a little more time thinking about it and wrestling with it. I'll, t- I'll tell you another interesting thing is that, um, you know, the way, um, you know, nags, software nags. So I, I hadn't had a nag in until just this last week. That's wait, wait, wait. A, a software what? You know, like a nag, like basically, thanks for trying out this product. Please upgrade. Oh, I see what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I just introduced the nags um, during this week. And, you know, that's when the conversion ratio has basically gone up from uh, 1.6 <laughs> to 2.3. <laughs> so 1.6 to 2.3. So that's yeah. a significant change it, it is a significant change and i think it's going to go higher as well i mean when when i look in the stats you because you see the um the, the point where it sort of cuts out and says uh you know on a daily basis it says okay you've reached your limit is when it when it's 250 api calls and if you look through uh, tweetminer.net forward slash stats you can see that there's a number of people who've basically hitting that limit every day so i think what's happening as well is they're hitting that limit every day they're hit they're seeing that nag and they're going, okay, yeah. right, enough of this. Well, Keldy from Balsamic talked about that, right? Right. He said that he would, he, I, guess, I think he had a free version or limited version but of, of Balsamic mockups, but... Every five minutes, it's a nag. It says, thanks for trying. <laughs> it says, thanks for, try- <laughs> thanks for trying out Balsamic mockup for the past five, <laughs> mi- for the past five minutes. <laughs> we we the hope that you'll consider you. switching to a paid version. And, and the tweet, yeah, like, the tweet, all right, you can have a free. We are just going to annoy the crap out of you until you the, the either give up one or, says, or pay. Thanks for trying out TweetMiner for the last 20 days. We hope you'll consider switching to, to a paid version. And then, like, you know, 100 days later, thanks for trying out TweetMiner for the last 100 days, you cheaps <laughs> bastards. Yeah, you know what you should do? <laughs> it's come up with a whole bunch of different messages. Like, you still having fun with TweetMiner? Yeah. <laughs> have more fun. Pay, you know, pay $5 and have even more fun, you know? Or, or you know, you're, you're wondering where all those cool features came from? They came from me, and, you know, boy, I could really use a little more income. Man, two, <laughs> Just... two years down the road, it's going to be, thanks for trying out TweetMiner for the last 650 days. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're enjoying it. Yeah. Don't worry about me paying my bills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just, that would actually, that might actually work if you did it with, like, a sense of humor. You right? think, yeah. You had, like... If you well, it does really say the days. It does say the the last number of days. So, <laughs> I think it would work. I think I think people probably accept it a little more, unless they thought it was really funny. In which case, they would not pay because they keep waiting for the next funny, annoying. <laughs> yeah, that is egg. a good point. I think let's. Just, I think just show the days, and they'll they'll feel their own guilt. Come on, <laughs> six hundred days into it, they must be feeling guilty. Two hundred forty-seven days free. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like really, yeah, if you're that's... using this thing for two hundred days. You know, you must see some value in it. Please, come on, just pony up five bucks a month. <laughs> Please, Frickin quit egg. screwing around. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's good. I, that's really interesting. So the nags work. So your yeah. nags work. The the well, um, I, I did I did start off by doing it the way that Peldy does it, right? So doing it every five minutes. But mm-hmm. within a day, I got one guy just saying, "This is so annoying. I just can't believe this. These freaking nags." So I just changed it to once every login. 
I think. Yeah, that's the reason why I guess uh, you could probably do it more frequently, but at five minutes is pretty aggressive, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of that's that's really interesting. <laughs> so I just think, well, no wonder he made six hundred thousand in the first six months. People yeah, just want to no turn kidding. off those Annoy your annoy your way to riches. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, well, so okay. what about you? So how what are you up to? How's, how's things going with you? Well, you know, like I said, I'm I'm still working on this stealth project. I'm really um, excited, excited about it. About yeah, it. yeah. You know, I I I like lie in bed at night thinking about it. I first thing I wake up. I mean, <laughs> six or six thirty. I hear the kids make a noise waking me up. First thing that comes to my mind are are, are solving some of the problems in my head, you know, I'm like programming while I'm lying there in my, you know, the pillow over my head, <laughs> you know, programming yeah. in my brain, you know, but you know, I've noticed actually that really helps me be efficient because I'll be thinking about it while I'm getting dressed or in the shower or brushing my teeth. And I'll be kind of thinking about things. I mean, not constantly, but I throughout the day when I'm not working on it, especially when I'm doing other things, I'll, 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 I'll remind, I'll kind of go, okay, let me, I'll consciously decide to start thinking about some of the issues, right? So by the time I sit down, I've got a really well thought out roadmap of, of what I want to tackle and what I want to do, as opposed to just kind of sitting there and looking at the code kind of dumbly, like, okay, what do I work on? Which is kind of interesting. So like when Guyon, uh, Guyon is the uh, guy who's working with me on it. I, I mentioned him yeah. in a previous podcast. He helped me. We worked together. He worked as just sort of a consultant. I, you know, we did about five hours a week. We'd sort of pair program and he, he's located in the, uh, in Europe, he was in England at the time, but now he's in Norway, and we would sort of uh, pair program remotely. And anyway, so we still do that now. We're we're collaborating on this project, and we work like an hour and a half a day. He'll he'll call me up or whatever, and on on Google Talk, and we'll just share my desktop using like an Ultra VNC product. Um, and uh, but we start working. I'm like, I already I'm like, all right, guys, so this is what we gotta do. We bang bang bang, and he's like, um. Oh, okay. I guess <laughs> I'm. I've thought things out so well that I'm just kind of like this driving force. You've and, got it uh, prepared. Yeah, you know, because he's because when he calls me, it's like ten thirty, eleven p.m. his time, right? He's already worked a full day, come home. You know, he's got three kids like me, so he's spent his whole, the evenings, you know, being a husband and a dad, and so it's finally after everyone goes to sleep, and finally after he's kind of gotten everything squared away he'll give me a call and so he clearly is probably not spent much time thinking about our project but yet i have throughout the day so i kind of know what i want to do which is like i said which is a real benefit because we're extremely productive because i'm like all right this is what we need to do bang 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 and i already know how to solve it <laughs> the bad part is he's kind of like sitting on the sidelines while i'm driving because he's just like okay you know yeah why are we doing this? I'm like, look, we have to do this because this, this, and this. You see, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah. You've thought sense. through the chain, basically. Yeah, you know, and there have been periods of time when, when clear, when he's been the driving force, and I'm kind of like, you know, a few days or a week, and I'm just kind of like, all right, that's this is your idea or this is your sort of solution. Are you thinking Keep about going. just out of curiosity? Um, so, how long have you been working on this project now? This is your stealth startup project, right? How long have you been working on it? Okay, so I started working on it. I would say like April, May, but only kind of a little bit. And then there were a few periods where I definitely took some time off of it, uh, off from working on it because um, I was working on local so, bacon. So seven seven months, six months. Yeah, but I like I said, I mean, there was a period in uh, time in sort of July 
in August where I really didn't work on it very much. And, and when, you, were, so, when you start working on it, you're talking about just a couple of hours a day or for the Yeah, last six well, months? Guy and I work together. We average probably four days a week. Fridays oftentimes, even if it's a Friday night. So, so you've, you guys have put – this is a bigger project than Tweet Miner. I mean, you guys have put a lot of work into yeah, this Yeah, no, this already. is a very – this is very – in depth and we're being extremely efficient i mean we know what we're doing you know we're writing code like crazy you know it's yeah. um so it's a big it's a big deal technically you, it's technically a very big deal have you in any way thought about any of the business stuff or are you just thinking about the product just the code yeah no i have I've, i i have a very clear idea in my head of exactly how i want to position it and uh who are the customer customers are going to be and um you know, it's again, it's it's going to be like Tweetmire in the sense that I'm not looking to like give it away for free and get VC and all that crap. I want to create a business out of it, and I want to sell to uh, and primarily to people who would use it for some type of a business situation. And so there's it's a lot a of B2B, types of ways they could use. It's a B2B offering, basically. Yeah, you know, but I, I think it could be, you know, a lot of um, you know, middle mid-sized businesses could use it, but mostly it'll be small businesses primarily because, you know. Um, Anything other than a very small businesses would not use a really small company as a vendor. Right. So you can forget about that. So it's going to be, I think, the same kind of uh, people who would use something like Basecamp, right? Okay. Would, would, would use this. And I, I just mean that, you know, either individuals and in companies or small teams and companies or free or small, you know, small companies themselves or, or whatever, you know. And then as you grow and you establish yourself more than it kind of works itself up because it becomes more sophisticated and, and maybe the business itself becomes a little more well-known and, um, you know, you can get slightly larger organizations to use it. But, yeah, that's, you know, because I, I, I want to I do exactly kind of what you're doing, which is, like, start something that can, you know, and, and just bring in revenue immediately, you know. I mean, it yeah. might be 50 bucks or 100 bucks the first month, but within six months to a year, maybe you're making a couple thousand or a few thousand, which sounds like, you know, a joke, but that quickly becomes eight or ten thousand. And a that's and interesting half, because so. there's different. The ROI is very different to Tweetminer then, because if you if you think about it, you know, I've I've put in as you say a hundred hours and already got that amount of revenue back. Whereas you, it's two guys working for you know for six months. You've put in probably a thousand hours at this stage, um, and and if you're talking about getting back similar levels of revenue to Tweetminer, then the ROI doesn't work very well. So no, you, well, look, I, I think it you need can to get at least double what Tweetminer does anyway, because there's two yeah, guys no, I working. Think, on I it. think this can make a, I think this can do very well. I yeah, mean, that's still the business. I think. I mean, there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of revenue potential in it. I think, and I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't be putting this kind of time if I didn't think it had the potential. And it's also a problem that I think is really cool. So something that I'd be willing to work on for years. It's not something that I think. Oh, this is kind of cool. I guess. You know, I'm interested in it now, but I'll probably lose interest in six six months. So. I don't know. I it's like you know my I t told you I know the guys who did uh, Central Desktop, which is like a you know a business small business collaboration platform. Yeah. And you know they started out, and I remember we would grab lunch, and he would say, "Oh yeah, we got like you know, fifty making fifty bucks a month or hundred bucks a month," and you know, I was like two years later, and and they were like you know hiring employees and everything purely off revenue and and cranking, and now now they got like I don't know twenty or thirty employees and. You know, I mean, I'm not privy to the exact revenue, but you can just get a sense that, you know, they're making real. Revenue. I mean, I think and I think the like other thing years. is, is that the price points here are very different as well. I would imagine because yours is yours is much more of a, you know, without wanting to give it away. It is a real B2B offering. 
Um, and, you know, tweet mine is much less, you know, serious as it were. So I would have thought your price points are going to be higher off the bat. That would be my guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there'll be some, they'll, I'll, I'll offer like a scaled down, you know, trial. Are you going to have a free or, version or are you going to do just a 30 day trial? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to really, that's something I'll have to really think hard about. You know, if, if it, if there is a free version, it'll be fairly limited. Yeah. You know, okay. and what, not, I'm not interested in spending a lot of time supporting people for free. You know, I spent way too much time on this just to give it away to people to use. You know, they, they may have to pay a lot of money for it, but to get something simple, but you know, they got to pay something, I think for, for anything significant. I mean, you know, it's just, okay. Well, the thing is, it's, it's, we, we, you know, uh, the sooner that you get that thing ready so that we can start actually talking about the real thing, I think the better, because it is kind of frustrating to talk about it <laughs> as the, you know, the stealth project rather than what it really is. Yeah, no, I know. I realize that. I realize that. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it was interesting. I, I read an article last night. It popped up on I think Hacker News. It was called Make Everything Your Own. It was about the guy who did, I think, like the 48 Laws of Power or something. And he wrote, co-authored a book with, um, what's the guy, 50 Cent, the rap rap artist? Yeah, I think it's 50. Who that is? Maybe. It, was, so, it, was it 49 Cent? No. Oh, yeah, 50. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so he um it was kind of interesting. I mean, you know, the 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 book sounds really interesting actually. And uh, you know, cuz this guy uh 50 cent I guess was these people who was a real sort of a street hustler, very little education, very rough childhood, and he really learned just through his own experience the and, and learned to apply a lot of the 48 laws of power. And you know, I think that a lot of the discussion in this book called The 50th Law is about the application of a lot of these rules of power. And a lot, and a lot of what they're talking about, I think the title of this one article, which is called Make Everything Your Own, which is like in the end, at the end of the day, if you want freedom, if you want real power over yourself, you've got to quit working for the man. You're going to have to you know, quit working for somebody else, quit relying on somebody else, make something your own. You've got to own it yourself, build your own thing. And I really, you know, kind of, I think it's applicable to these, these startups and stuff, which is that, you know, right now you're dependent on, you know, a couple of your clients. I mean, you have more freedom than, say, someone who has a job, you know, somewhere because if they, you know, the, the person who, whoever they work for has a fair amount of power over them. Now, if they're really, if there's somebody who can easily find another job somewhere else, then maybe it's not as much power. They don't have as, as little power as people who, have, who would have a hard time finding another job. But those people have less power than you because you have you know, multiple clients. But then when you actually build some of your own, like say TweetMiner, right? And let's say this can continues to build over the next year or two to the point that you don't actually have to consult. Then that's the, direct, that's the application of this, which is make it your own. Spend the time in building something that has recurring revenue, a recurring value, right? I have to say that, you know, having worked in a corporate environment, that gave me X level of happiness, let's say a one. Then, mm -hmm. mo then moving to this scenario where I work with clients, I really like my clients and, you know, I really like helping them out and it gives me X level of happiness. So let's say that takes me to five, right? But then when I... When I do something like TweetMiner or my own startup, and it really is my own, like you're saying, like it, it just makes me so much happier than any of the other scenarios. Just basically yeah. being the, you know, being the person in control, dealing with the, with the customers directly, you know, making it because it, I tell you something that's a, it's a great feeling is like, 
when you know when the customers are saying oh, oh god i wish it did that and then you just do it and then they're like oh so i'm so happy it does that now you know it's just this yeah sort of well you know because it, it, you know the thing is, is is okay there's leverage there but there's leverage not only in say every hour that you work you make a certain amount of income there's leverage that you make a lot more income than if you were just working as a consultant right i work an hour i get paid my hourly rate right, right. You know, I get paid a salary for showing up my eight or 10 hours a day. But when you work an hour and then you make a thousand people or 10,000 or a hundred thousand people, you know, uh, and, and you make them something and they actually pay you money. Even if it's a small amount that they pay, it adds up in aggregate way more. You get paid per hour way more than you would have gotten paid. Plus the other thing is like, you know, if you do a job at a, a, a working for a company and you know, there's some people, Oh, Hey man, good job. You know, it's a couple of people you made kind of mildly happy, you know, um, but, you know, or you make your clients, you know, your two or three clients are like, oh, you know, Justin, that was a great job. Thanks a lot. But you're right. The, the leverage in the sense that you do something cool and you make a lot of people happy. It's good. And, and you know, like people are, are, are nominating Tweetminer as the best, the best Twitter client on the, on the, the TechCrunch awards. And, um, you know, awesome. there's lots of sort of praise coming through from, from Twitter. And I don't know. It's, I mean, it, like I said, it's just, it's kind of. I mean, you know, it's nice to be made to feel that what you're doing is valuable. Um, so yeah, the, the absolutely. Whole thing. So uh, there's a sense of like freedom, right? A sense yeah. of control over your 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 own destiny, which is which is great. And there's, and there's also this sense of security, right? So if you build something that a lot of people use, you diversified your risk. So like, you know, maybe you know, you know, a bunch of people quit using it. Well, you still have plenty of people paying for it and more people are going to pay for it. But if you're, if you have a client decide to cancel the project, you're like, Oh crap, you know, I got to find another client. Quick, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I was wondering if, job, I was wondering if part of it was because it's a social tool, you know, but so in other words, even in the tool itself, people can, can sort of give feedback about the tool because it's social. So that's, it, I think that's, I think that's, that's good that you did that. I think the more that you can, you know, sort well, because it's a Twitter. I mean, it's a it's a Twitter tool. So basically, if someone types into the tweet, you know, the, with a hash tweet mine, you you get to see it straight away. But I was just wondering whether that was it. But the truth is, the the, the get satis get satisfaction forum is actually the really good thing. You know, that's mm -hmm. where the the feedbacks you know coming back. And so I think that even for your tool, which isn't a tool about communicating with other people, you you could get the, the same sense that I'm getting here just through. You know, integrating something like Get Satisfaction. Yeah, no, it's 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 great to it's great to hear from people, and and it's great to know that you're making people happy, and you know, it's great that you're making people happy, and you know, to the point that they're actually willing to pay for something, and you're actually able to live off it. And you know, it was interesting. Um, I uh, there was an there was a, a post on Hacker News a couple days ago, and this guy said, hey, he created sort of a fake handle because he said, look, I've written technology books and I'm, I speak at conferences and, you know, like he's a pretty well-known person, you know, on Hacker News and stuff. He's like, but he says, I'm like, it's like in my early forties and I'm lost. I think it was called I Am Lost is the, was the title. Hmm. And it got a lot of points up. And the guy basically was just like, you know, saying that, you know, he's done this stuff, but he's got nothing to show for it. He works for a boss who's an ass. And so he's very unhappy at work. And I think he said something about commuting or whatever. So basically he had a crappy situation. Like he, he developed a lot of expertise and a lot of people, I guess, probably knew who he was, like a certain amount of like professional credibility, Yeah. but he still had nothing to show. He's still working month to month, you know, he still had the paycheck. And so he still had to, you know, if deal with whatever crap is, you know, his boss or his job through at him. And, 
you know, I was reading through a lot of people's responses. I was sitting there eating my breakfast, reading through this stuff. And, I'm, and there's kind of weird, uh, some of the responses are kind of weird, like, oh, you know, you just got to look in a mirror and smile at yourself and you got to exercise more and you got to, you know, you know, quit your job and just like live cheap. There's no point, in, you know, and all this kind of stuff, which really we're, we're sort of either like, look, the guy has, apparently I think the guy said he had a family, a wife. The stuff was kind of like smiling yourself in the mirror, you know, it's <laughs> like whatever, you know, and uh, or quitting your job and, and all these things were just kind of nonsensical advice. And I was like, you need to do what Justin and I are doing, which is a you're obviously an expert in some technology fields, especially if you're written a book, books, right? Even speakers. So clearly people think, you know, what you're talking about, which means you're way more expert than you need to be necessarily to be a, consul a, a consultant, right? So then what you do is if you're working a full-time job, start working on the side, you know, just get some small consulting projects and work on at night or on the weekend and then get, a, you know, one or two clients. And then once you get a couple clients, say, look, you know, we could give you more hours if you get more time. And then pretty soon you can, without take a lot of risk, scale right into that. Whereas, uh, you know, you don't have to like say, well, I'm quitting my job without any income, Okay. And then you start consulting, and then once you get a consulting and, you're, and, you're, and you can book yourself full-time consulting like you or I do, you start working on your side project, which is what we're doing. But, right? but Jason, very few people will do that. It takes – like I don't know whether you've noticed, but I mean as I've gone through life, I've noticed that it takes a certain kind of psychosis to abstract yourself from life enough to do something like this. Because yeah, most, okay. people are, most people are busy living. They're going out to restaurants. They're having fun. They're – they're living their life, you know. That they're they're, they're well, being social. Well, I'm just saying that that. Y I mean, what are you doing? I mean, are you not living your life? I, I am, but I'm a lot less of a social animal than than a lot of people I know because I spend more well, time. I, I, you know, dude. I mean, I I I, I run a men's soccer team. I play soccer. I work. I play basketball. Work out two hours every day. I coach with my kids' soccer team. I play with my kids all day. You know, I mean, I'm I'm really involved in doing lots of things with lots of people. You know. I don't just sit in my. I don't know, cave but it's, and... well, there's that. Okay, that's that's one aspect, right? Then another aspect is just like once again, it takes a special kind of person who's happy to put themselves on the line and go. Well, that's go the thing. Out in the right, public look, eye I mean, if and allow them you, you... allow themselves to create something that's going to be criticized, like not very many people want to do that. Hey, okay, that's fine, but like you know, okay, the okay, here's the thing, right? If you're gonna if if you're going to bitch and uh, if you're gonna be if you're unhappy with your situation, right? If you're miserable. Right, to the point that you're like writing something like "I am lost" on Hacker News, okay, right. which is fine because you get some interesting advice. And if you're unwilling to change it, well, then don't bitch, right? Okay, fine. You know, be unhappy. You know, you're unhappy because you work for a crap boss. I mean, the easiest solution, which is to try and find another job and maybe find a, a place you like to work, right? That would probably be the easiest solution. If the guy is expert enough to have written books, and he's probably easily employable. I mean, he just needs to find another job unless he lives somewhere where there's not a lot of tech jobs. And then he might have to think about moving. And that's another difficult thing to do if you have a family. Well, you can always However, get jobs online, but anyway, that's right. That's true. Point. Okay. But if you like want to be happy, if you want, if he basically saying, I have nothing to show for it. It's not like I'm just unhappy as in, I, I don't like my, I have a crappy boss, right? That's not such a hard thing. He's to got fix. no legacy. You haven't recreated anything that has recurring value. You don't have any assets, right? Like you haven't created any software that can make you money. And if you actually, if you have the ability to write software, we're in, like we talked about in the last episode, we're in a very unique situation. We can create something on the side, on our own time that can create value that people will pay for, right? 
you know, it's not like you have to go out and open a restaurant or something, which is actually what other people had advised on the Hacker News just to open a cafe, which I thought was, again, ridiculous. Considering you're an expert developer, but you're going to open a cafe, <laughs> which a lot of times is our money losers. Yeah. So anyway, the, uh, you know, but the big thing is like, okay, you want to create something has value. You, you have nothing to show for it. And you, you need, the, the easiest thing to do is to create some type of service that people pay for. And, you know, he can just do that on the side. You could skip the whole consulting thing. You could just work on weekends and nights while you're working your job, right? And within six months, well, he's, he's doing the old swap time for money thing, which is what we all do until, until we work out a way to make money while we sleep. Right. And that's why you just got to put a little extra time and build something. I mean, like I said, the guy's a central desktop, you know, it starts out small. It's not, it's smart. It starts out so small. It almost seems like a joke. Like it could never work. And you should be surprised then, you know, a year, two years, three years, you know, you're, you're making so much money. You're hiring people, you know, smart bear software with Jason Cohen. It, they all start that way. Right. They all start out making, you know, 30 bucks, you know, a hundred bucks. Like, it's just like, it's barely enough to even, you know, pay for lunch for the month. Right. But if you just keep working on it, you know, it's just a matter of time. You know, I mean, unless it's a really bad idea and no one pays for it then you, and you can't figure out about changing things, just change your idea. But eventually you, you, if you keep at it, you'll come out with something that, that people, that creates enough value that people are like, Hey, this is awesome. I will, I would pay for this. Right. Hmm. And I mean, it just seemed like the, the solution was so obvious. Okay, skip the whole consulting thing. Just work on a project on your side and then and, and deliver it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, th I think the, it is, I completely agree. It is, it is the obvious thing to do. And then the it, thing is, it's hacker news. Nobody said that. At least I, at least I read about through two-thirds of the comments. And everybody's talking about this random crap about like yoga and smiling yourself in a mirror but what, and putting what, your job in the I mean, even in my talking like, about? In my case, I've – I mean – Tweetminer is not the first thing that I've done. I've done literally <laughs> about 10 things like this over the last mm -hmm. 10 years. But for whatever reason, it never occurred to me to get beyond the tech stuff, you know, before. I mean, I just, I, I built these things and then I ran out of steam. I never Well, really... then of course you never charge for them either too, right? Well, exactly. I, I never charge for them. I never, I never marketed them. Like, I guess each one I just built a little bit further along the way, and then I just sort of got sick of it, got sick of it. But with with the tweet minor thing, I just made the decision, look, this time I'm actually going to build it, I'm going to release it, I'm going to charge for it, I'm going to market it. And, you know, I think, I don't know whether I'm the only one who's done that, I'm, but I speak to other developers, and it sounds like they do the same thing. They basically have these ideas, they build them, but then there's this sort of stumbling block from taking it to, you know, from just a technology and a concept and, and then building it to actually doing the business side of things. And I think that's what's a really important part is you've got to get into this business side of things. And that's where a lot of guys fall down. A lot of guys and girls fall down. I think it's totally true. And I think, I think there's a couple of reasons why I think we've talked about some of them, which is that the fear of rejection or fear of people saying, you know, yes, yes, your software yes, sucks. Yes. It's stupid. Yeah. Nobody will pay for it. I mean, it's just like us releasing this podcast. You know, occasionally you get a few comments where people are like, dude, you guys keep saying you know all the time. I can't listen to this crap. You're like, <laughs> yeah, that kind of sucks, right? Yeah. But you're like, well, all right, we'll try not to say you know the next episode. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you just keep trying to make a better podcast. And the same thing is with software. You know, certain people say something sucks or something's broken, but that's fine. Just keep working and make it better. But a lot of people, and it's difficult to put yourself out there. It's difficult to spend a lot of time writing code and put it out there, and people go, oh, it's crap, it's a, it's a derivative of this other thing, and da-da-da. And it's just, it's, and I think we all resist getting judged. 
because but, but, we're afraid. And, but people do. I mean, people do. They're negative. You know, people will rip it apart. That's that's the other thing, right? <laughs> you know, like it's it's so deflating, and this is the reason why I've got peer pressure on as a, as a, as a badge on Stack Overflow, because it really does kind of irritate me when a bunch of people turn around and say, "Well, what you're doing is a load of crap," you know, and it just makes <laughs> me feel like, "Oh God, I can't yeah. be bothered anymore," you know. And you know, and I people think love I... to put it down. That's the problem. They do. I think people like to put other things down. Well, the thing is, is that. Probably there's a lot of people who like it, but aren't. There's no bother saying anything, right? And this is the people, the kind of people who don't like things, are the kind of people who's always pissing me off, and they just want to write something negative, right? And yeah. sometimes it might be legitimate, and sometimes it might need, might not uh, be that legitimate, but they're going to write it anyway, and then you're going to get this feedback. And I think, you know, and that's why success and stuff takes a certain, the, takes the ability to learn to ignore that, get a thick skin at some point, just say, well, you yeah. know. Just understand it sort of abstractly. They're not criticizing me. They're criticizing this piece of software they're interacting with, right? And they don't really know me, well, and uh, so I shouldn't take it so personally. And then it just doesn't matter because there are plenty of people on balance who are making things happy because at the end of the day, ultimately, you're going to make decisions about the software. It's either going to do X or it's going to do Y, or it's going to look like this, it's going to look like that. And anytime you make a decision, a certain number of people are going to fall on one side of it and a certain part of the other. Otherwise, if you don't make your decisions, you don't have software, right? So you're going to piss some people off, and that's fine because that's just the process of delivering something, right? I remember in it was about 2002, and um, I had this funny idea for for creating what I called a PHP framework, and I was going to call it PHP 4GL. In other words, because of you know, like a 4GL tool is something that it's like a rad development tool. So I took it. So I I basically had a meeting in a pub in England with this guy. I'm not going to say his name. And basically, I think you should say his name. No, I'm not going to say his name. <laughs> and, and basically, he, he, as far as I was, as far as I knew, he was the guy who knew PHP better than anyone else who I'd heard of at that time. So I went to him and I had this discussion with him. I said, "Look, I've got this idea. My idea is that you know, I'm going to have this this framework. And basically, I didn't know the word scaffolding, but what I was saying was was scaffolding. And essentially, it was, it was what Ruby on Rails was. It was just a way. It was a code generation tool." It was a, a framework tool. It, it had scaffolding. It had, you know, automated automated database population. And I tried to explain it to him, and he was so down on it. He was like, "That is the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life." You know, he's like, <laughs> "PHP is, I mean, PHP already is a rapid application development tool. Why the hell would I want to be constrained by your ridiculous framework?" You know, I just want to build my own PHP stuff, right? And mm -hmm. it. it I was so deflated after that conversation. I just thought, okay, this is going nowhere, and I just completely forgot about it. Yeah, that's sometimes maybe a good reason not to tell people what you're doing until you've gotten a certain amount of momentum on it, right? Like yeah. once you've got enough momentum on it that you're going to finish it, you're going to do it no matter what anybody says. Yeah. You know, especially people who, are, who tend to be kind of critical. It's like, you know. And a lot of techie even... guys are. Like you, that you get those specific types. You know, those those, yeah. those techie guys that are a little bit kind of militant. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, the ones absolutely. I think, yeah, I, I, think there's, I think there's definitely people are pretty snarky. And, you know, there's a lot of ego, you know. And, and I think I can't remember who had written about this once, but they were talking about how software development is largely about ego. Like, hey, look what I built, right? Look how fast I built this. Look how – and there's always that element to it. There's all this, like, I, I'm smarter than you or everybody else kind of, you know, aspect to writing code, you know. Um, 
and it's just sort of a competitiveness to it. And that often comes out in being negative or critical or snarky or whatever. And, and especially when things are written in comments and stuff where people aren't to your face and therefore people can be extra um, aggressive and, uh, you know, it's, it's critical. It's just, uh, yeah. So I think, I, th I think the thing to do when you're working on stuff that you want to work on is, you know, kind of just ignore everybody else. Don't worry. If you want to do it, do it. <laughs> you know, screw everybody Yeah, but else. if you ignore everyone, then you've got the chance of going in completely the wrong direction. Well, okay. But the thing, right? I mean, you had a sample space of one. Right? right, you had one guy yeah. who totally derailed what you were working on, which could turn out to be a really cool thing had you decided to do it. Well, it would have had been Ruby kept... on Rails with PHP, you know, like three years before anyone else. Ruby Rails, yeah. yeah, which could have been very cool had you followed through on it and done a good job with it. And so, yeah. now if you had said, "All right, I'm just going to work on this thing on my own for three months or six months or whatever," got something up and had a bunch of people kind of playing with it. You know, and then and then you used feedback from hundreds of people, and said, "All right, are people finding this useful, and can I evolve it or adapt it to the to fix or solve the problems that people?" Seem I, to I be just didn't feel confident enough to to do something like that. I mean, I'd only only just released Easy SQL, which was just like one yeah. one little library, and I didn't have the confidence to go into the community that way because yeah, I don't know because I hadn't come through um, CS course. Uh, computer education so i'd once again i'd sort of feel like well you know who am i to sort of create this new type of thing when there's all these other guys out yeah. there who've gone to college well my my advice to anybody out there who wants to do something don't go around talking about it to a bunch of people who are going to be critical until you've spent some time doing it and then if you do wait till you have a lot of people you, you need to make sure that you get a good sample of people yeah that's very, very true before you start making decisions where what you're doing is worthwhile because you know, all, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's like all of these ideas, all these companies that turned into really big ideas initially set probably sounded really stupid. Like there's no chance that's going to work. Like yeah. Flickr. Oh, another photo sharing site. Isn't there like Snapfish and all this other crap? I mean, you're going to create something else or delicious, a li link sharing thing. I mean, who cares? There was other stuff that was like that, you know, or blogging software. I mean, stuff already existed, but, you know, it doesn't mean that you can come out and do a, 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 re, a rethink or, or a, new, a new way of doing it. Like Posterous, right? Posterous is this huge deal now. Everybody loves Posterous. I mean, what is it? You're emailing in stuff that's going to be posted on a blog, like a little simple blog that's much simpler than WordPress. Yeah, I don't but know. But it's great. It's successful. They, you know, if you had told people about that, people were like, oh, my God, isn't there like 30 blog engines out there, right? Yeah. Like, just imagine whoever the first, those two guys, I can't remember their names, or, you know, they went and, and they talked to their friend who's really smart and kind of negative. He's like, look, guys, you got to do something that's more important than that because, like, this has been done, right? Yeah, no, it's WordPress true. WordPress has it logged say. up. Blogger has it logged up. You know, people have done email. Well, Twitter, things. I mean, twi tw to me, Twitter sounds like the most ridiculous cell in the world. Like, look, yeah, I'm going to make this site with one text box and a submit button. And you're limited it's to 140 characters. It's going to be huge. Characters. They're going to talk about it on CNN. Yeah, it's going to be 140 All the celebrities characters. are going to be using you know, it. I mean, you would thing, sound like a complete ass this if thing, you said something. You know how long it would take to build Twitter, like version one? I mean, come on. You could do it in a couple of hours. A like, week literally. or weekend or whatever, depending yeah. on what framework you used or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end, that ultimately just shows that nobody knows what the hell they're talking about, mostly. <laughs> You know, about at least what at least what specifically you know, people have general heuristics like, hey, release early, release often, work on stuff you like to do, try and solve problems, you know, in, interface with community, those general things, right? But in terms of what project is going to work or what company is going to, 
you know, be successful. It's just, you know, the, the people are just talking on their ass, you know, and a lot of them are just going to be negative and they're going to derail you. So just ignore them and find somebody, some find a partner in crime if you can. If you don't, then just do it on your own. If you find somebody who's like equally enthusiastic, like, hey, man, let's just do it. I mean, what the hell, right? Yeah. But the key, but go back to some of the things that like why is TweetMiner sort of on a better trajectory than some of these other things is that you started with something that was tractable. I mean, something that you could actually work on and finish within, like you did, like less than two months and get live. Well, also, okay, go right back to the beginning, the very beginning. I started with something that was a pain point, my personal pain point, which is something I haven't done before. Like I've in any in any of the other ten things that I tried building, it was just something that I thought people would want. Like yeah. tweet miner was something specifically that was a, a personal pain point. Like I wanted a way to schedule tweets and put them up mm -hmm. onto Twitter easily. Yeah. So that's yeah. The, that's, no, that's step a, one. I think that's a key thing. Is when you know all these things are are like you know part of this sort of um, body of common sense now in the startup world like if right. you read paul graham or joel spolsky or listen to, or you know the, the rantings of 37 signals or whatever i mean all these guys say this kind of stuff over and over and over again there's probably like 20 rules you'd probably write this down like the 20 rules of of uh, for startup success we should do something. it we should do it on texting we should have it on the texting blog yeah we should come up with, i was thinking about that i've store i've i've saved tons of articles like this and like a, like a like a uh, a compendium of startup knowledge and, and not just go with something exhaustive, but like, what are the basic rules of things that are like heuristics that like, hey, if you do these things, they might not all of them apply, but every time you do one of these, you're increasing your probability of success, most likely. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you, if you, if you have, you know, two founders, it's probably better than one, but it's probably worse than five, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. It may not be true. There are plenty of examples of one I man. I wouldn't have thought two would be, would be worse than five though. Five, you get too many people and you got too many yeah. everybody's, yeah. Five you know, be worse hey, than two. let's all do this together, everybody. And then it's like, you know, three of them weren't even really that committed anyway. And everybody's waiting for somebody else to do something. It's the tragedy of the commons. It's, it's like, like when forming you live, a band, like, like you, you, you know, your friend ends up being a bass player. Yeah. Right? Well, it's like if you have a roommate, have you ever been like a roommate with like three or four guys and it's like nobody pays the bills or cleans the kitchen, you know, <laughs> and it's just like everybody's looking at somebody else to do something. <laughs> You know, are you doing these like group projects in school where like, oh, here's my team of four and like it's just one person ends up doing it. But then the, in this kind of situation, that one person would just get generally really irritated because these other four people aren't doing crap and thing falls apart. Anyway, we, there's a whole, a whole list of like things that, that that's just sort of like we've learned through osmosis. They're trialing our own. We've, we've, you know, read numerous times, like even stating them just seems like so obvious, you know, now, yeah. but uh, you sort of internalize those things and actually implemented them, you know, solving your own problem, getting something done out there relatively well, quickly. I'll tell you something else. This podcast Start charging for it. This podcast is is also has has a certain level of responsibility to play because because I've I'm been sorry, talking, I Oh, I was just saying that um this podcast also has a little role to play in it because I'm talking to you on a weekly basis about startups. It kind of keeps me in the frame of mind of wanting to do one. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, you know, if, if we didn't have this, I'd once again, think I wouldn't be quite so motivated. Yeah. You know, I think talking, speaking about things like this makes you feel sort of like you own it. Like, okay, now I got to do it. Cause I told everybody I was going to do it. It's like, oh, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose weight and you know, I'm going to work out, you know, and everybody's like, so are you still working out? Like, oh, no, I quit. <laughs> you know? It's like, if you tell everybody you're going to do something, you feel like, a, you feel like an ass if you don't stick yeah. to it.
I think so. Yeah. And another thing too is just more motivating, like you and I talking about this. Like it's motivating for me to see that you released it, you started charging, and you're seeing revenue growth. Growth, even if it's sort of like this very um, initial stages, it's still exciting. It's hey, real. I've got something to, talk, to a quick little thing to talk about. Um, Bitly and Rackspace. Okay. Um, so TweetMiner uses Bitly as its as its link shortener. Right. Okay. And so people can plug the way that I've written it. People can plug in their own Bitly API details. Mm-hmm. Now, it just stopped working all of a sudden. Bitly just stopped working. So I, mm-hmm. I got onto Rackspace and followed it through. And basically, what happens is if you if I just make a single PHP page with one single function, just file get contents and making a call to the Bitly API, mm-hmm. it when it's on the tweet when it's on the TweetMiner server, TweetMiner.net, it basically network times out right right but if i put that same script on any any other server anywhere else it pulls an error message from bitly api okay so in other words something about the rackspace server connecting to bitly is stopping right so rackspace after after being on the phone to rackspace for about four to six hours (laughs) you know like on different different times doing all sorts of different diagnostics, they just completely and utterly deny that the problem's theirs, right? And now mm-hmm. I've then also got into communication with Bitly, who have in their terms and conditions, they say that if one API address has over five concurrent connections with different accounts, it will be blocked. It will be rate limited, yeah. Ah, uh, right. But, but I've emailed and had, you know, a lot of emails backwards and forwards between myself and Bitly, and they say that they are doing no kind of rate limiting on, on TweetMiner whatsoever, right? right? So, so Bitly say they're doing, and they're not, you know, they're just not answering my emails anymore. They're not looking into it any further, right? And Rackspace aren't looking it into any further. So, both of these people are not helping in any way. It totally doesn't work, and all of my customers want it. What would well, you why do? don't you just? What would you do in that scenario? <laughs> what about just do your own URL shortening? Well, I mean, I I don't want to. Build it. I mean that. Then I'll just be in the same situation as um, as uh, Eric Woodward Eric from Trim. From Trim. Yeah. Because, well, because of all the 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 maintaining that. Yeah. Okay. And you've got okay. To do so the stats and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, let's let's okay. Let's ignore that then. Okay. For, 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 and that's your extreme situation, your extreme solution. Okay. If nothing worked, but that probably you probably don't have to do that. Yeah. So. What about using – what about a Trim? Does Trim have an API like Billy? Well, Trim – like Eric's basically stopped giving out API keys to Trim. I mean there are like four other four other alternatives that I found that I'll plug them in. But it's just so unbelievably irritating that neither Bitly nor Rackspace will just sort of, I don't know, take any kind of responsibility for this. And it's just yeah. like – it's it's irritating because Bitly are the standard, you know, and my mine is – And Rackspace is the premier hosting. Yeah, and – and TweetMiner is a Twitter client, and the customers, you know, pretty much demand to use their existing Bitly accounts, but they can't use it through TweetMiner because of this weirdness. So I don't know. It's just like I don't know what that says, but it's. I'm just saying. Well, I'm just saying. It's uh, yeah, you know. I mean, uh, I guess from. I mean, so so let's say this. Okay, so Rackspace. If you're on, are you using Cloud Sites? Yeah, Rackspace Cloud Sites. Yeah. The hundred dollar a month. So it always hits it always hits Bitly from one of two IPs. When it So what can they do about it, right? I mean they have numerous customers. So there's not a whole lot they can do, probably. I mean I'm not an expert in like, you know, what, who? how Rackspace. how the assign- Yeah, I mean how I how Rackspace applies static IPs, I mean, to their cloud stuff. I mean that sounds fairly 
yeah yeah i mean my my website has an ip end of story you know so that they can't change that right and they don't you know they don't have any outgoing kind of limiting thing where they where they stop because basically it's a php script making a network connection to an external server right so i wondered okay do you guys do any sort of limiting under those scenarios and they said no they don't so it's well, I mean, it's just a situation. I mean, and it I don't know what up about every other pet. It, it, you know, it, from this, the exact same script can open up Google, Yahoo, whatever. You know, the file get contents all works fine. It gets it across the network. The only one it doesn't work for is Bitly, which really indicates okay, so that Bitly is the problem, right? So you can either use a different service. <laughs> that might work, right? Yeah. Which is not a deal, right? So that's yeah. probably the easy solution. Yeah. Or you could have some really small account somewhere else. You know, you pay ten dollar a month server that doesn't have this problem, and then you just make a call to them, use it as sort of like a proxy. That's right? what I was thinking. Yeah, basically, maybe put it on like four servers and and rotate, be it, like proxy it. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I mean, these little cheap servers somewhere, you know. But it sounds like the easy solution is just switching to another service provider. Well, I already switched to it is.gd, the is good mm-hmm. one, but um, the problem is, is there's no tracking for the for the customers, so. I'll have to. They don't like that. I'll have to implement new stuff. But it's just like, why? You know, why don't, why don't they? Anyway, I'm I'm just complaining. You just want to bitch. Yeah, I'm just bitching. <laughs> why don't they All do right. something about it? You know, it's like, well, God. I suppose they got so many other things on their plate. Bitly's probably. Well, you know, it's like you yeah. can't you can't solve every problem. I'm sure they probably like they spent some time with you. If they could have fixed it with a reasonable amount of time without changing the system, then they would. I mean, it's like, but if it's not a problem that a lot of people are having, they're just it doesn't spend time. It doesn't make sense to work on it, just like you do with your customers. You know, you can't solve everybody's problem, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. It's just not not it doesn't work. So um, yeah, that's just the nature of it, I guess. So um, yeah, uh, you know, let's see. A couple things that I wanted to bring. A couple articles that I wanted to bring up um, is uh, one was there's something called NoSQL meet SQL. There's an article. Oh yeah, this lit, is where the, someone wrapped up. Uh, basically, uh, create like a, a an SQL proxy to uh, not a proxy, but you know what I mean, like an SQL wrapper. An, an SQL interface, a SQL interface for yeah. for um, Cloud DB. Yeah, which is exactly what you and I were talking about. Yeah. you know, a couple months ago, a few months ago with uh, Cassandra. It's like you know, these while these key value and document based um, databases, distributed databases, are fundamentally different than relational databases and how they sort of think about and, and store information. The way that the um, the way that software is has been interfacing with these things is going to is, is such that people are not going to be willing necessarily to always rewrite all of their stuff just to work with this new stuff. And that you probably get much rapper, much quicker adoption if they said, "Hey, you know, we recommend you use our API and a key value and you think about it in the right way." However. We supply we support a limited SQL based interface into this so that you can transition here, right? Yeah, and um, which is something you and I talked about. Well, it's and just useful. Guy, I mean, SQL is just a really useful interface. Yeah, and you might be saying, look, you know, there's certain types of joins that are going to be a complete disaster if you try and run it <laughs> on our distributed database. It just won't work. It'll it'll just time out or won't work at all. However, you can do these other things and, and give you some sort of you know rules of thumb. But I just think that's a smart thing to do to, to get wider adoption, to get people to, oh, totally. you know, to say, hey, we can adapt. We have like sort of a 
you know, for all these ORMs and stuff, we have like a, a an adapter to, you know, Tokyo Cabinet and I don't know, Redis or CloudDB or whatever. Um, but um, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. People are people are commenting like, you're a you're an evil genius. <laughs> you're a mad scientist. What are you doing? That's like they liked it because I thought it was kind of cool. But they thought they were basically, you know, joking with a guy saying you're an evil genius or whatever. But, but, but it was our idea. Yeah. I mean, I I can't imagine that <laughs> all the people who've been writing these things didn't didn't occur to them. Yeah, of course thinking. it is. Of course it is. But yeah, we definitely did talk about it. Um, a couple other things I want to talk. About. So, uh, did you uh, did you read anything about Google's new language Go? I just saw some of the obvious articles, like you know, do we really need another language? Um, mm. I mean, I didn't really get too much into it. Maybe you could give me a little recap of what it what it's all about. I read there's a there's a guy. Um, oh, I think uh, I think he writes. I think he's a blog called Good Math, Bad Math, or something. He's actually I have my RSS reader, and uh, he's like a uh, and he works at Google, and he's a PhD in computer science, and he specializes in like you know things like language building, you know, building languages and uh, writing languages and stuff. And he gave a really in-depth, it was like 15-page sort of like evaluation discussion of Go and about the goods and the bad bad parts about it. And um, I don't know. I mean, I was looking at it, and I just I didn't. You know, but okay. First thing I'll say, I didn't like the way the language looked. I was just like, this is really weird. You know, it's like sometimes you look at language, you're like, I don't like this. <laughs> you yeah. know, which is probably just completely obviously completely subjective because it's whatever you're used to. Yeah. You know, and I was like, because they're kind of trying to. It seems like what they're trying to do is create something that's as fast and as efficient as C, as compiled C, but it's like as easy and, and to write as say something like Python. Okay. Right. Um, that they you you'd be much you know, make it much quicker to build um, these these really fast, efficient, scalable programs. And so I, I could see what they're doing, and I was just like, why not just make it look very similar to something like Ruby and Python, which are, with all these huge number of people love already, right? Those are a couple of your really sort of um, very parsimonious languages, you know, just have not very many lines of code, at least if you're going to write an imperative language as opposed to something functional like Haskell or Lisp. But okay, now um, let me say something that's probably stupid, but why not just make it 100% exactly the same as Ruby, and just make a different compiler that compiles it down yeah, that's to? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like why? Yeah, because like you obviously could write a, a you know parser compiler or whatever that takes Ruby and essentially you know maybe adds on a few things if you want to do like static type you know, types and a few other things. It's like Ruby plus or something, you know, it's like, it's like the next version of like JavaScript, right? There's another version of JavaScript that's been on the sort of blocks for a while that does like, you know, actually static types. You can just declare something in int or something hmm. as opposed to sort of implicit right. types. Um, or, and, uh, you know, and I, I don't know, you, you've seen what they've done with, with, with V8 and JavaScript, but what Google's done with using V8 and JavaScript, I mean, this JavaScript's running extremely fast compiled code now. So I would think, yeah, I mean, Ruby, I don't use Ruby, but I, I, I've seen it, and a lot of it looks really nice. And just like I look at Python, it looks really nice. Like, you can look at it, and like, I get it. Like, you, you know, it doesn't take very long to just read and go, it's just sort of easy to read, easy to understand, and... You know, I think a lot of people think that I don't have a problem with curly the C style of curly braces, but a lot of people look at that and they're like, "Oh, I hate that." Oh, you I know? love that. I love that because 
Well, one of the things that you know that I think most text editors do is it allows you to quickly click a button and you can it'll highlight everything between the braces. Yeah, I mean, so, I kind of so. like the end blocks like with with the Ruby does. Um, I kind of like the I, I I do also like the sort of white space um, that uh, used to determine like um, scope by white space that they do in Python. I think both of those work for me. Yeah. Um, some people. I mean, I, I, I wrote like a little. Personally. I wrote a little domain-specific language for describing um, for some stuff within the project I'm working on, mm-hmm. and it looks, you know, and it has like begin, sort of like, you know, begin end blocks and and stuff, and it it looks sort of like Ruby or you know something like that. And at first, I didn't use the end blocks. I used to use whitespace, and Guyon was like, oh man, like he hated it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's like, all right, all right, all right, we'll do the end blocks. I mean, you know, whatever. And uh, I just wanted to make, you know, the, the, the language as, 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 as parsimonious as possible, you know, just mm. as simple as possible. Because he was talking about using XML, and I'm like, dude, I'm not going to use Oh, XML. dude, you should use YAML. I've seen YAML. It's, it's kind of like YAML, but it's, it's different than YAML. YAML is it's, just the lightest, the lightest way to move data around. I love it. It's, it looks very similar to YAML. It, it, it's, it's YAML-inspired. Okay. You know, so it's sort of YAML inspired. Why I mean, just use YAML because like, then you've already got the uh, you know the libraries out there. To I wanted it to be a little different. I wanted some other stuff to it. I mean, it took me an hour to write the parser, right? I mean, it's like you know, big deal. God, talk about talk about build it here syndrome. You, I do. I you, don't have care. To, I, you have to write your own language, your own object storage. Yeah, language. I mean, if it takes me an hour, then who cares, right? <laughs> Otherwise, okay. I got to find a YAML parser, and then it doesn't do the things I want, and there's, and there's things I have to live with that I don't want. I mean, screw it. You know. Okay. I mean, if if well, literally why don't wrote you just it, build your? I mean, like two hours. Why don't you just build hours. your own computer? Yeah, I might. You know, you should I buy all the that. all the components separate. Hey, listen, why don't you build chips? You should you should make a chip building <laughs> Look, plant. Hey, it's listen, like why this. don't you build like, your own batteries? You know. <laughs> it's like if there's something that I can write, if there's something that I want it to do, that's different than what I can get for free, and I can do it in a very reasonable or insignificant amount of time, then I'll just do it myself. But it would have you taken know? you less like than an hour to use YAML. I'm just saying that. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I have to, you know, look through their API, and then I gotta figure out how I, uh, you know, walk through their DOM, and you know, who knows? And maybe it's taking me a half hour versus like an hour. It just <laughs> you know, pauses it. You, there's a, there's a YAML's a basic thing, and then there's yeah, no, um, there's a there's a YAML parser. There's a PHP into- library, and it just it just spits it out as a standard PHP object stroke arrays, and then but it, like it, I said, it there are other things PHP beyond objects and arrays into. But there are there are other things that I wanted to do. Like what? Then well, then support. Well, I, I can't really talk about it right now because. But there was there were things that I wanted to oh, do that was stealth YAML. mode. Yeah. So. <laughs> but. Okay. Uh, I can't remember what, what was I even talking about. Well, anyway, the bottom line is I looked a little bit at Python and um and YAML and Ruby, kind of like how do I want this to look? These are all kind of things I kind of like that. Um. Anyway, the whole point going back to Go yeah. is I looked at it and I was just like. I don't know, you know, I mean, I already am very comfortable and at using C++, so I don't necessarily need to do it. And they don't even have an implementation on Windows anyway, so it's not like something that I would end up using anytime soon. And since I use most of, uh, at least the C++ development I do is in a Windows environment. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I thought it looked kind of weird. It wasn't, it wasn't, we're not really object-oriented. Um, it's more like C, it's not like C++. Right. Um. I know. I mean, it's very long. I mean, you can obviously there's a lot to it. There's a lot of pros and cons, but uh, people are getting pretty excited about it on the web, and it's like a lot of debate about it. 
Switch or sound quality has gone gone down. Um, I mean, it's still listenable for for podcast purposes, but it did go quite down. Did it go low or did it go? No, it's just like um, it's lost, you know, a certain level of clarity. It's like the bit rate's gone down or something. Mm. So I got a couple more things I want to talk about. One was this hilarious article. It's like a couple years, a few years old now at this point. Actually, it is. It's over three years old. It's called uh, by Steve Yeagy. It's called Good Agile, Bad Agile. Yeah. And it is hilarious if you haven't read it. So basically, he's uh, Steve Yeagy. He works at Google. He used to work at Amazon. Um, he's a couple times he's been a guest on Stack Overflow. Um, he's a pretty funny guy, and yeah. um, he's just a great writer. And um, he goes on this big rant against like these sort of agile methodologies, which he thinks are crap. <laughs> you know that anything, anyone or anyone trying to, you know create a methodology and, and, you know, selling books and giving seminars are not to be trusted kind of a thing. He's okay. like, well, keep it simple, you know, and he sort of described the process at Google that really works and all this kinds of stuff. And uh, at the end, like the, the favorite line at the end, he's like, he's like, look, you know, um, anything I write here is not necessarily approved of by, uh, by Google management, right? It's just yeah. my opinion alone. So in fact, they will probably be surprised when they read this blog post, but hopefully it's sort of birthday surprise as opposed to startle a uh, rhino in the wild. Surprise. <laughs> 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 you know, that's the kind of writing he does. It's just fantastic. I'm like cracking up for myself. I was reading my wife. Like, what are you laughing at? You know, Dude. Like, uh, it's great. Anyway, it's a great sort of, a, um, I think reasonable critique on all of these sort of, um, Badish agile methods like oh we use Scrum or we use extreme programming whatever which will have elements of you know keeping things small and tight release release often and you know have quick very close communication with the you know domain experts and users and stuff like that but I don't know I thought it was really good so I'd recommend anyone who wants a good read and a kind of a laugh is to read that um, another one was uh, kind of interesting was. Um, the, uh, the Google released their own JavaScript library called Google Closure. Oh yeah, heard of that? Did yep. you Did you see? Yeah, I've I heard of it, but I didn't I didn't have a look. I didn't. I just read this one article about. On, I was called. There was an article called Google Closure: How Not to Write JavaScript. And I guess the guy who wrote Raphael and G Raphael, which is sort of like a a, um, a graphics JavaScript library for um, like you have a one unified interface and it'll like map it to sort of canvas or S, uh, SVG or VML for IE, okay. which is something that I had done. I told you uh, an, a number of podcasts ago that I had done yeah. something like that a couple of years ago to work with um, before there was Raphael um, to work with uh, Prezo. And you could write, you could draw lines and move stuff around and do all the shapes and all this kind of gradients and all this kind of stuff. And it would, it would render the same way on, um, on all these different browsers using yeah. either SVG or VML mappings. And uh, anyway, so this guy's uh, been working on Raphael and he's sort of like a you know, JavaScript guru. And he, he was sort of ripping apart the library saying, look, they're doing all of these stupid things. Like whenever you do an array and you do like, you know, like I, let's say we have an array called items and you do dot, you know, you do a for loop and, you, and then you say, you know, I is less than items dot length. Yeah. He's like, that's what, it's JavaScript 101. Like you want to take, because it's going to do a lookup, yeah. you know, in the array. You want to take that out of the array. And yeah, set a variable. Take in there, and they're for each, in there for each, um, implementation they did a um it's like you want to pass a function and have that operate on every element 
in the uh, in the uh, array. And the problem is that a lot of libraries will attach things onto the object prototype or the array prototype. Yeah. And like the actual prototype library did, which a lot of people complain about, but you've got to learn to play nice and expect that people could have prototype or, you know, Dojo or any of these other libraries or jQuery. Yeah. Already you on the same page. So if you take consideration, you've got to be careful. And, and one of the things that you need to do, I think it has own property. You do a check before you actually apply the function to it because it could be not an element, but literally a property that's been attached to the, um, or a function that's been attached to the uh, the array object, yeah. And so they made all these like mistakes, and he's like, "Good God, you know." He's like, "This is just the stuff I've looked at." And there's all of these problems, you know, that look like Java coders coding JavaScript. Um, well, uh, but well, because Java. because it is it Google like basically that's the way that Google write their JavaScript. They they write it in Java, and then they click a button, and it compiles it as JavaScript. Well, I don't think they do with Clojure. That's with their GWT or something, right? Oh, okay, right. I mean, and they also have – I'm getting a little confused. There's, there's the – what's their back end, the Google engine or what, App Engine? I don't know. Right, so that generates JavaScript, I think. And no, 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 no. App, App Engine doesn't generate JavaScript. Not App Engine. There's another one that does something like that. They have, I, I'm kind of confused. There's a couple different projects they have, yeah. but Clojure – I don't think is not a JavaScript generator, like JavaScript as bytecode. Oh, okay, so they're not using that on Gmail then, for example. Like, I, 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 you know, I don't know what products there, but I think it's just an internal library that a lot of projects use. They probably brought a lot of the code, you know, maybe like their Google spreadsheet. Why would they bother? Docs. I mean, there's so many other great libraries out there. Well, you know, it's like, it's like anything. It's like, you know, a lot of times these libraries, they started on a library maybe way before there was you know, a jQuery or something, or yeah. before these things, or things like jQuery or what our Dojo or whatever uh, achieved critical mass, and they just wanted to create, and they needed, they, and the people were already working on stuff, and so they had, they, they probably someone went around and said, all right, well, look, there are all these 10 or 15 major projects, and they all have significant JavaScript library efforts. Why don't kind of consolidate these things into one thing, and, and we'll kind of incorporate and kind of get everybody using the same thing and make it really good. I mean, I don't know if that's what they did, but... <laughs> Um, I get the impression it's probably something like that, and it's called closure, and it looks like, you know, well, I'm sure there's some very smart people worked on it. It sounds like, you know, they needed a couple more JavaScript, pure JavaScript experts to go through and just say, okay, this is, there are better ways to implement some of this stuff. You know, but with that said, though, I'll say one thing, though. A lot of these kind of things, like looping through stuff, is probably not really what's taking the most time. It's like when people argue about, well, is PHP or Ruby or Python faster? It's like it's your database, dude. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. If I'm gonna optimize this PHP, it's gonna be so fast. Like, dude, optimize your queries, optimize your indexing. You know. Well, like it's like in in uh, uh, in TweetMiner, I've uh, I just found out the other day that I had this trap where it was uh, jQuery was trapping every movement of the mouse and assigning mm -hmm. x y values into into some variables that I had in the namespace, and right. you know everywhere it says don't do that, don't do that because that really slows down performance. And it, I didn't need it, so I just took it out. But I didn't notice any difference, any performance difference. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know, you know. Well, that's what they always say about, the, you know, they can't, you know, about optimizing. It's like, first of all, there's this saying that, you know, optimization is, premature optimization is the root of all evil or most evil in software development. Right. Yeah, I think Knuth said that, I think. Um, I think that was his quote, but... 
gets often repeated. But essentially, you go and you start optimizing stuff for you even though how, how it's really going to be used. And that's obviously a problem. But the real problem is that people start optimizing things that aren't even necessarily even a blip on the screen on what's taken up the, the bulk of the processing time. Yeah. You know? I guess I mean, it adds up, though, if you do a lot of little things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, but you got that's why you got to profile it because, it, I mean, it's, sometimes it's fun just to make things fast, even if it's insignificant. I mean, you go through your code and you just kind of make it fast, even if it makes no difference. You know, this is, this is taking up 0.001% of the processing time, but I'm still going to do it this way just because that's the way it's supposed to be faster. <laughs> you know, hey. but it's like, if you go through a loop and you say, all right, well, I'm going to do like items.length, I'm going to say, you know, var, you know, len equals items.length and then put len as my, in, in the loop, for loop, you know, then, um, but the reality is if you're like inserting nodes in a DOM, it probably inserting a node is going to take way more long, way longer than the lookups of the length of the array to the point that they don't just going to show up. Can I ask a question? Did you obfuscate your Prezo JavaScript code and are you going to obfuscate your new JavaScript code for your new project? Yeah, well, you know, I obfuscate the sense that I compress it all into one, you know, download. Otherwise, you get like, you know, 30 JavaScript files, in which case it takes way longer to grab them. So you get them all in one file, and you take out all the white space, and you compress it down so it's way faster to load. Okay, so so you didn't you you I understand that because I'm just wondering whether whether with with TweetMiner I should basically you know try and obfuscate the code so it's less easy to read, or I'm already doing that that trick of bringing it all into one file, but. Um... So you yeah, didn't... I mean, compression kind of works out to be kind of obfuscation, but it's not like I rename my variables to XXX015, you know, so that nobody knows what the heck's going on. So what routine I mean, do you use? Is it, just a, is it just a standard PHP thing that you've written, like a PHP uh, function? No, actually, I wrote a JavaScript um, uh, library, I, you know, because you can run JavaScript from, um, you know, from, uh, let's see, you, you can actually run JavaScript from like a, I can't remember what it's called. Not command like a, line? Not like command line, but it's like a I don't console. Know what it's called. I, yeah, kind of a console thing. And um, what did I use? I wrote. Oh, this is one of these libraries. You say I don't. I write everything myself. Okay, so I don't always. Like I use this guy, uh, Frank Marcia, called JS Min. Huh, I use okay. that. And it's just one, you know, file that just kind of one function. That yeah. just compresses it. But then I wrote my own stuff that loops over my entire, all my directories, all my subdirectories, and um, and creates the uh, and creates these one combined files. And is that the point you strip out the white space? Yeah, so it strips out all the white space. Your, that's your your function strips out the white space. No, his does. It's oh, called, okay. Uh, his, his library called JSMin. All right, I'll have a look and, into that. And. Um, it's uh, it, you know it works great. I mean I did Prezo and it I mean it drastically increased the uh, the load up time of Prezo just by just by combining them. Like another repeat there there's a guy who was in Australia who was using it and he's like it was just took an eternity to load Prezo until I did that and in the case it was really fast. And I did the same thing. I think they call it was uh, they call it spriting where or sprites where you like say okay I got like 40 icon buttons. You don't make every one an image. You you create one image that has all of the icons on one, say, you know, GIF or something, yeah. right, or GIF, and then you just make those background, you know, you make that one image the same background image, but, you know, you just say, all right, well, the background image is, you know, this X at this left and this top location and this width and this height, and that's all it shows up. I mean, that it, dramatically. as it stands, it's, um, the, the tweet minor code is, um, 
I'm sending it down as a uh, compressed G zipped. So basically, mm -hmm. it get the entire thing comes down the line in 25k. Mm -hmm. That how does that compare to something like Prezo? I don't know. I have to look. You know, it probably varies a lot. But you know, you could the the Firebug, which is the Firefox add-in debugger. Yeah. You know, you can look at the net, the XHR yeah. net, and you can see every single request for every image, every CSS file, and you know, you want as few of those requests as possible. You want like one, two, three requests. Yeah. You know, and to combine files. And if you don't, if you go to like 50 requests or 80 requests because of grabbing all these images and grabbing all of these JavaScript files, it takes forever. Yeah. I learned that. I learned that a few years ago. I was reading some. <laughs> there were some articles, and uh, I don't know, maybe it was some Yahoo guys were talking about like, you know, how to. They did a really deep analysis of how to make the Yahoo pages faster, and that was one of the first things that you want to just. Yeah, it's more important to have less connections than it is about big, a big size file. So, all right, uh, that's a wrap. We're out.